Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to experience the Gut Check Project, talking science, health, and innovation that you can actually use. But this isn't just another health show. We're here to have fun and make your time enjoyable. Well, while you are enjoying yourself, know that even though the GCP covers some health topics with healthcare pros, we are not your doctors. So use our show to entertain your mind and not for medical advice. And now, here are your hosts of the Gut Check Project, Dr. Ken Brown and Eric Rieger. Hey, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Eric Rieger, joined by this awesome guy here, Dr. Kenneth Brown. Ken, what's up? Well, we have episode 80 coming up here. We do. And, you know, we've had this whole series on longevity, and we'll do a quick recap of that. But today, episode 80 is for the people that like supplements. It is. What do you want to take if you want to live to be 150? That's what we're going to talk about now. The cool thing is, is during this longevity series, um, it's forced us to dig a little bit deeper into what longevity actually is, what health span actually is. And now... The cool part is we're getting to a culmination here. What kind of action can someone actually take beyond the food, beyond the aspect of getting good nights, rests, et cetera? So what can you do or consider to do to uh, to put yourself in a better position for good health and longevity? Absolutely. And so longevity, super important. We're going to get into that. We're going to talk about the supplements. We're going to talk about – so this is a very – um, exciting area and it's also hotly debated and you've got all these longevity experts we referred to a bunch of them they all have podcasts now they're all talking about it and i agree with some i disagree with others but it's all based on science that is episode 80 definitely so before you get a chance to ask me what have you been up to ah so i have uh, been knee deep in the literature of what looks good for longevity <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wow, that sounds like a lot of family fun, Ken. <laughs> yes, fortunately, uh, my kids have been helping me with that also. And I'm just like, I haven't taken a bunch of stuff. And I was like, Carla, you look younger today. We're putting that on the list. <laughs> well, actually, if you can involve the fam, that's always great. So yeah, exactly. Cool. So, yeah, fortunately, the family was in town. We're, uh, we were all together. Super exciting. So we just kind of enjoyed, you know, like when we're all together and trying to get as much time with Lucas before he heads off to UT in January. Right so. on. That's yeah. good stuff. How about you? What's going on with you? So, uh, didn't have to wait till January to send the youngest off. This last weekend, Ooh. moved Mac out to Lubbock. He joins his brother in Lubbock. And, um, I mean, it was it was great. Gage and his fiance moved into their home. And they are getting ready to bring in the new kiddo. And uh, That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And um, Mac has moved into the dorm, and he's already off and running with tons of friends, lots of good stories. Uh, school officially started today, the recording anyway, when we are uh, doing this recording for this particular episode. So school started today. They're off to a great start. Um, things are good on the on the home front. That's awesome. That is some exciting stuff going on. Love that. So longevity, first of all, uh, before we even jump into this, I am so glad that we're talking about longevity because I came across some super scary information that you and I may have to be on this earth to help defend it at some point. This sounds like a, a uh, conscription of some kind. Well, I'm just saying it's not from, you know, we don't have to defend it from another country or even outright aliens. I came across an article here that uh, it caught my attention and sort of scared me. Okay. All right. So Aliens. the title of the article is Cannibal Squid Change Color to Speak in a Way that Resembles Human Language. What? 
So basically, marine biologists made this super creepy discovery regarding this cannibalistic squid that are exceptionally well-equipped at grabbing things because on their little suckers that they have 200 each arm, each sucker has a bunch of teeth. And so that in itself is terrifying. Mm -hmm. These squid use human-like syntax to communicate with each other so they can hunt in packs and get out there and do some serious uh, damage. They're called the Deciticus gigas, otherwise known as the jumbo flying squid. It's the fiercest of all cephalopods. Cephalopods being octopus, cuttlefish, and squids. Wow. Do I have all the cephalopods? I think. I think so. Anyways, these are like five-foot killer machines, and they, they... send out a jet, like a jet thing where they can go and move 15 miles an hour quickly in water and then grab their prey. That's faster than any swimmer or any human swimmer can do. And it's literally three times the speed of like Michael Phelps. So like if Mike's if Phelps is in the water and says, oh, look at the, the, the 1,200 giant squid coming at me. I'll just outswim them. No, no it's over. It's not happening. It's over. It's over. So the thing about this is that to add like the fact that they're like really well equipped to kill things. Then in 2010, they started studying these animals because they frequently cannibalize each other. And it was really hard to study them. And what these uh, scientists figured out is they would, they would catch one. And as they were bringing it up to the boat, all the other ones would just destroy it. So mm. if there's any sign of weakness or any sign of anything, now you also start wondering what I'm going to get into next, which is really really shocking is that you would think, oh, well, these are just really stupid, you know, whatever animals that don't know any better. Well, what's really scary is that it appears that these cannibalistic super hunters are highly social and they travel in packs of up to 1,200 death squids. (laughs) And while they're doing this, they're communicating with a light show. Okay. And so these, this particular article was talking about how these marine biologists discovered that, well, they're not just flashing lights for any reason. They realized that these squid are forming full-on sentences really? with the varying color pattern. They even figured out that there's the same sequence of lights that they would do when they're about ready to attack the prey. And what they realized is, is that 1,200 killer squids, they will, one will say, that one's mine. And everyone will leave that alone. Huh. So they're talking to each other. Wow. And then they realize that it turns out that it's actually full on sentences. And then the syntax comes because they realize that they displayed 12 distinct pigmentation patterns with varying sequences uh, that actually allows them to do tasks and to communicate as a group. And more importantly, herd up, control, and attack as an army. So... What's really worrisome is that the researchers believe that the squids use these subtle pigment changes to provide context to what's going on. Like, I'm going to go kill that really big ass other <laughs> whatever squid. And they, and they all know, oh, that it's so it totally reminded me of that movie Arrival. Remember when? Uh, oh, with uh, Charlie Sheen? No, not with Charlie Sheen. With, um, I don't even know the actor, actors and actresses. It was that really cool movie where they had a language. That that became a universal language, and that's oh. what that's what brought the whole uh, Earth together, because we all spoke the same language, brought on by two cephalopods, giant cephalopods. Okay, but uh, all right. Well, I guess I didn't it. watch that one. I wa- maybe the one I watched was The Arrival. Yeah, this one's Arrival. I liked it a lot because it really makes you start questioning that if we all 
spoke the exact same language, Mm -hmm. would we have conflict at all? Because I would know exactly what you're talking about. The words mean the same thing to you and I. It's go check the movie out. It's really good. Okay. It's, and I don't think, I keep telling everybody to go check it out because it's like a time movie. Every time I told somebody to go do it, they're like, uh, dude, it was just two large squids. Like having, <laughs> having, having language class. I'm like, oh, there's more to it than that. Yeah. No, it, but, it sounds interesting. So anyways, I think in the future here, before these squids keep evolving, the important thing is they only live for about a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if they figure out how to stick around longer, evolve, you know, develop some armor, come out of the water, we're going to have to be around to help defend Earth from these borderline alien creatures. So they only live for a year. Is it, uh, does it stand a reason that they just get weak later after, you know, 10, 12 months, and then they're just taken out since uh, cannibalism? The of cannibalism? The seems to be the, the order. You know, that I don't know that. We're going to have to bring a toothologist on to actually discuss that. Okay. You're looking at me weird. It's T-E-U. Oh, okay, because I had never heard of a toothologist. Called them dentists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> toothologist is a biologist specializing in cephalopods. Did not know that. I did not know that either until I started, until I stayed up all night terrified that squids were going to be breaking through my window. It's just one of those words that when you say it out in public, they're going to think he does not know the word dentist. (laughs) (laughs) Hey man, I'm going to be uh, late for work today. I'm going to the toothologist. Okay. All right. Why? He's like, cause my cuttlefish is sick. (laughs) I love my cuttlefish. You will be fired. They will, they will hang up and fire you. (laughs) <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, and now I'm like completely obsessed yeah. with cephalopods. That is dope, man. These these brilliant little creatures are full on, like using adjectives underwater. What, Syntax but, but you, in context to the whole situation. You and I, have come, uh, completely apart from this conversation, have had discussions about do octopi and squid... And we didn't bring up cuttlefish specifically, but do they even belong on Earth? They they seem to function like no other animal on the planet. The, it is even yeah. even before this story, they don't they don't seem to do things like you. We've all seen like the videos of of octopi being put into uh, like a glass cage, and they can be given a puzzle and they solve it. Yeah, they can get into different things. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, I, it's uh, I don't know enough. That's why we need a toothologist to come on. That's a really funny word. I know it's a funny word. And I'm going to be like, Eric, did you, did you book that toothologist? Yeah. I'm going to show up and it's going to be my dentist sitting here. He's like, I don't know what you want me to talk about. Yeah. Do you want to look at braces? Do you want to look at retainers? <laughs> so anyways, keep that in mind strictly because I thought that was the weirdest thing that I've read in a long time. And I had no idea that kind of stuff was going on. Yeah, I didn't either. But yeah, it is a fascinating story. And Think about that. Five feet long, traveling a thousand. They're talking to each other consistently, mm-hmm. like flank around the back. I mean, these are like the freaking Navy SEALs of the cephalopods. Yeah. And they're like coordinating and stuff. And then when they grab you, it's not just that they grab you. Their suckers have teeth. So the teeth, the suckers grab on and then the teeth there. And then they just suck you into this chompy little beak that just. Do they closer to the microphone so they can hear that? Chompy little beak like that. So they have a beak that just chomps. Terrifying, right? It is now. Yeah, think about that. Like, yeah. that is not the way you want to go. No, I wasn't in danger, but now for some reason I feel like and I if am. if you and I were in the ocean, 
and they're communicating, you and I would be going, we couldn't communicate. I don't think that we'd have that kind of time. It sounds like it's (laughs) over before it begins. So anyways, now that I got you thinking about it also, let's start developing an an anti-squid suit or weapons or something because I'm not going out on a boat again until I got something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you're not going to be in danger then of this cannibalistic this cannibalistic <laughs> although if it eats us it's not i mean i think it's kind of funny if it eats us it's not really cannibalism yeah no 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 it's not cannibal no it's not that they're only cannibalistic yeah. it's just that you when you watch it these it, she, so, it seems like the name should be cannibalism plus so good. these marine biologists were talking about when they finally caught one of these mm-hmm. and they opened it up there was like a absurd amount of the same species beaks in their belly that's <laughs> insane I know. I'm like, what? Oh, oh. dude, I just figured out what we're going to do. When we go scuba diving, uh-huh. we're going to have this giant flying squid uh, suit on uh-huh. so that we will be the largest of those cephalopods. It doesn't seem like they give a shit. Well, I don't know. We don't know until we encounter it. But anyways, I kind of feel like we digressed pretty far away from longevity. One of us for sure. <laughs> I just can't get over that. It's nuts. Absolutely nuts. Yeah. I'm, I'm, hopefully there's a toothologist listening to this. And they'll contact us. You missed the third part of longevity series. You have to stimulate your mind. So this is part of There we go. That. But seriously, if anybody knows a good toothologist, have them contact us because now I'm scared. <laughs> All right. Episode 80, Supplements for Longevity and Health Span. Okay, first, we've covered a lot in this longevity series. In episode 75, we defined longevity and we talked all the cool stuff. Stem cells, peptides, exosomes, gene manipulation. Then on episode 76, we talked a lot about fasting, which is relevant to today's episode because a lot of the supplements that are out there are trying to mimic what fasting does. So that's all about restoring cellular health. In episode 77, we showed how being social is a key foundation to staying healthy and young. You gather up 1,200 of your friends, and you run around and try not to eat each other. And then in episode 79, we went really deep in how if your microbiome gets old, you get old. So we talked about how important the microbiome is. So we're going to wrap this up with the supplement aspect and to live long and healthy, what supplements you should be taking for longevity. Now, this is last because as you kind of mentioned there, supplements are to supplement everything else that you're doing. You need your foundational stuff. Go into some of the foundational stuff that we should be doing on the regular. Definitely get sleep. You definitely want to make certain you have a diverse diet. You want to make certain that your stress level is low. Um, Of course, your interactions uh, that you have throughout your daily life of being intentional are going to assist you in doing that, making sure that you have uh, good people around you. Um, it, some of this stuff may seem incredibly basic, but it's essential. Absolutely. So once you do that, then start thinking supplements. Until you do that, the 80-20 rule. Take 80%, make sure you have a good foundation. Now we're going to talk about the supplements. And this is a super hot topic, but it's also a very debatable one. So this will be my summary of the current literature and what I take for longevity and what I don't take, which some other experts actually do and why. And it's interesting coming from my perspective, while 
other people have their own perspective, and I'll explain this in a second here. So I would I do want to take a few seconds to review the fasting episode, okay? Because a lot of the stuff is going to be involved. Remember that aging is due to inflammation. In fact, we even talked about the term inflammaging, and it all starts at a cellular level. There was a pathway that we discussed. When you fast, you turn on something called the sirtuin pathway. Now, several longevity products try and increase the sirtuin pathway, which is why it's really important to remember what this is. That's the silent information regulator. Those are longevity genes. Silent information regulator, cert, longevity genes. They promote longevity by fixing DNA damage, protecting telomeres, the little ends yeah. of the chromosomes, and they get rid of old and dying cells called? Oh, apoptosis. Yes. Um, this actually ultimately will improve mitochondrial function, and then they will stimulate stem cells, in addition to increasing insulin sensitivity and also decreasing inflammation through a pathway called the NRF2 pathway. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, they promote health span. Now, they actually decrease as we age. So as we get older, your sirtuin genes are not as effective and they decrease. And one of the reasons why is because they need a cofactor called NAD, which is nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, NAD. Shocking, NAD decreases also as we age. So as NAD decreases, your sirtuin uh, genes decrease and you don't do all those cool things uh, as well. So to recap, it's a longevity gene. It repairs cells, decreases inflammation, and protects our chromosomes. Naturally decreases with age, and it needs NAD as a cofactor to work. One of the other pathways that we talked about was the AMPK, activated protein kinase pathway. I know this sounds super science if you didn't watch that episode. We actually make sure that it's a little bit more understandable here. This is just a recap. So it gets turned on when there's no energy in the cell. So while you're fasting, you don't have energy, the AMPK pathway turns on. What's beautiful about that pathway is it helps with lipid metabolism, it helps with glucose metabolism, and it is very potent at autophagy and mitophagy, which is what Eric was talking about with the apoptosis. So the AMPK and the sirtuin pathways. Both those pathways have been heavily studied by a doctor and author and podcaster who's been getting quite a bit of press lately, which is Dr. David Sinclair. Mm -hmm. Dave, Dr. David Sinclair wrote a book called Lifespan. A lot of the book was all about turning on these two pathways. Yeah. If you can turn on the sirtuin pathway and turn on the AMPK pathway, which decreases mTOR, also discussed over there, mTOR is the growth pathway, then that actually has led to uh, longevity in animals that he's working with. This all came about, I think he wrote the book because in 2006, he got published and got a ton of press on this. And it was, the title was The Therapeutic Potential of Resveratrol, the In Vivo Evidence in 2006. Basically, that's what created that huge wine craze. He went on Dr. Oz and yeah. wine sales went through the roof and everybody got all like hot on resveratrol. It was a super hot topic. The paper was based, the in vivo means in life, not in vitro, which means in Petri dish. So in vivo, the paper was based on mice, and he looked at how resveratrol can turn on the sirtuin pathway. And since his pivotal paper, others 
um, have actually tried to replicate this. So it got so, it was so hot back then and everybody was down with resveratrol and drinking red wine and all this other stuff. Yeah. And so many supplements came out with resveratrol, but a lot of people have not been able to reproduce those same results. So one of the things that I want to just kind of bring up is just some other data surrounding this because uh, in 2012, a study was comparing green tea, curcumin, resveratrol, and medium chain triglycerides in mice. Similar study. And the one that performed the best was green tea extract, not resveratrol, Mm. in life extension. So, and I did not uh, go into great detail about whether or not they actually monitored the sirtuin levels, but ultimately the end goal is life extension. So surprisingly, resveratrol did not win between those. And next was actually curcumin. So in 2022, a meta-analysis where they look at all the studies and they put them together, it showed that there was very limited data in humans, understandably, and ultimately they could not provide distinct, strong affirmation to life extension. But there does appear to be potential health-promoting benefits. Okay. So that's the second thing there. And then finally, another article just recently in 2022 in Food and Science looked at using resveratrol in inflammatory bowel disease. And the focus on this particular article was on the bioavailability of resveratrol. Mm -hmm. Ultimately... Resveratrol is a polyphenol under the category of still beans. Mm -hmm. So we always talk about um, uh, proanthocyanidins, tannins being large proanthocyanidins. Mm -hmm. This is a still bean, but basically it has really poor bioavailability. And we talk about that a lot because we talk about how intraluminal polyphenols and so on. But what they did realize is that it gets metabolized in the gut and liver a little bit, but once it reaches the colon, the microbiome can then be cleave, it cleaves it into a very absorbable form that gets passively absorbed. Mm -hmm. And I only bring this up because I really admire the research that Dr. David Sinclair does and is doing, and he's got a great podcast. In fact, um, his supplement stack, which he freely admitted to on his podcast, is he takes resveratrol, Fisetin and quercetin, okay. in addition to a few others that we're going to talk about. But those three, those are three polyphenols. They are. Molecularly, if you look at it, I'm sure that on a biochemistry level, they're very different. But they're three polyphenols that are three polyphenols that are poorly absorbed. Very, repeat those again. Uh, resveratrol. Resveratrol, fisetin, and quercetin. quercetin. okay. And there's a common theme here hmm. that he did not address and it's not being addressed with the current hmm. longevity people that you and I address all the time. And I feel like if we can patch it together, yeah, then we may end up working into something really, really cool. And that is that these molecules are really good for us if you have the right microbiome. Well, yeah, if you have the right microbiome and if they are bioavailable when, when needed, right? Not every single one of those necessarily makes it in the uh, in the form that you would like to the area that it needs to be to be processed. Correct? Yeah, exactly. And it's he's not the only one that. So he's discussing using those. What what I looked into um, after looking at all of this is that there are many polyphenols that turn on the sirtuin pathway. In fact, a large stable polyphenol is a fasting mimetic molecule by turning on the sirtuin pathway. Sure. And it just seems like there's absolutely nothing wrong with what Sinclair is, is saying or his message. But at least historically, and we've covered it on the show, 
<clears throat> that uh, some of those may need to be taken in such a volume to offset how many of them will be more or less destroyed because they just aren't stable for the transition through the GI tract to get to the colon to be used in that form anyhow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, so if you know that the metabolites from the microbiome are the important thing mm -hmm. and you're taking a small, let's even call it bioavailable uh, polyphenol, and there's a lot of supplement companies that try and do things to say, we've made it more bioavailable yeah. by adding bio uh, pyrene, the black pepper extract, or we've done this because we've added uh, something or other. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, no, no, wait a minute. Maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you want it to do its natural thing, which is to produce the metabolites. In fact, I was listening to a podcast with Dr. Mark Hyman, very popular doctor that's out there. And he was discussing his longevity stack. And he said, really what somebody needs to do is they need to develop a polyphenol blend for longevity. Wow. Where would we find that? Where would we find that? And I thought that was kind of funny because what I want to do is, if anybody knows Dr. Sinclair and Dr. Hyman, tell them to look at Dr. Sylvia Molino's work where she was showing what happens when you take a large, stable polyphenol and then you actually give it to your microbiome and your microbiome produces, right. guess what, quercetin, and I don't remember if fisetin was on there, but these different larger polyphenols become smaller polyphenols. And then you're more, if you have the right microbiome, it can break it off more and more and more. It's like the concept of the mother molecule, right? The, yes. The larger polyphenol uh, actually houses a lot of these different compounds within it once they're broken down. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is one of the reasons why it's so hard to do clinical trials and why the results are very variable and why it's always done with mice because yeah. the turnover is quicker. You can control the environment. If you give somebody, so like every time you hear somebody that says, oh, that's the greatest supplement. Oh my gosh, I took it and I felt great. Yeah. And then somebody says, I took it and I didn't feel shit. Uh -huh. Is it the supplement? Is it the brand? What if the microbiome isn't prepared to take it? Or the microbiome isn't prepared to take it. Yeah. Better yet, I'm sitting here talking about these things, and there's a lot of people that, that have tried this. I've actually talked to patients, and everyone asks about resveratrol at some point, and, and quercetin because of uh, COVID. Everybody was talking quercetin all of a sudden. I should have taken a picture of this. Uh, two days ago, I went into a, a natural grocer's. No, no surprise that we frequent places like that. And uh, on the door going in, I didn't even think about it, but um, they have written like in their, their chalk advertisement or whatever uh, on the door. It just says resveratrol here. Yeah. That's all it says. But uh, it's obviously a hot topic to be talked about right now uh, for, for this very reason. So, yeah, totally. And it's, and it, you know, I, the article in 2006 in a mouse model probably increased the sirtuin. When I've heard him on different places, he said, I looked at many different molecules, but it's been unable to be replicated with these other large meta-analyses, these other large studies in different places. So just something to keep in mind. Not saying, um, not saying that it's not going to do that, but that's one of the reasons why I don't take resveratrol or fisetin or quercetin. Mm -hmm. Because I know that when I take Outrontil Pro, I know that the bacteria in there are going to break down the cabracho and the chestnut based on Dr. Molino's work. Right. And I'm going to end up turning on my sirtuin pathway that way. Mm -hmm. And I will produce quercetin and I will produce green tea extract out of it. And that's where I think the, all the science needs to start going. But it's um, everybody's asking for resveratrol and Dr. Hyman saying we need to make a polyphenol blend for longevity. And my 
response to that is let's just get a really large stable polyphenol and or one or two, three put together and your body will do the right thing if it has the right microbiome. No, I love it. And that makes a lot more sense because something like Artron Teal Pro comes with the ability to, it's, it's, you've got the lock and the key all in one bottle and then, yeah. and both of them need to be, need to be present in order to get the benefit. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I love the work that everyone's doing, all those guys are doing. So that's my take on supplements to turn on the sirtuin pathway. Okay. Right there. And that's based off of what Dr. Sinclair has said that he takes. Yeah. And I want to, and I, I think that both of us agree his work is very profound and really drills down to the essentials on what it is that we need. We may just differ a little bit on the vehicle or the methods in order to get that there. Exactly. But we're also dealing from a perspective of, I want to know how it's digested. Yeah. I want to know the effect on the yeah. microbiome. I want to know the area under the curve when that's going on. Sure. Because I see it in clinical practice. That's, yeah. that, that's the one difference is, I mean, you've got these great doctors doing stuff, Rhonda Patrick, Andrew Huberman, yeah. David Sinclair, and they're out there and they've got the PhDs. Um, when you hear Peter Atia talk, he's like, in my patients. Right, right, right. And so he's like, well, that makes sense on paper, but in my patients, sure. this is what we're seeing. And that's kind of how I take this as, a, as, as an approach, in my patients. And we're gonna now, um, move on a little bit past the sirtuin pathway because of his research and everybody jumped on board on this one mm -hmm. and you've seen a, tons of this. You can't have a good sirtuin pathway without high levels of NAD. You're right. Nicotinamide, adenodinucleotide, NAD+. Trust me, you've seen it because there's companies out there doing commercials all over the place for this. NAD is actually a coenzyme for... All the cells. Right. If you didn't have NAD, you'd die. It'd be bad. So sirtuin is just one of the pathways that really requires some NAD. And this is an area where uh, Dr. Sinclair actually is groundbreaking in this, mm -hmm. where he's doing a ton of great research. As we age, we lose NAD. And it's probably why the sirtuin genes are not very effective. They go down as well. So to make NAD, you actually start with something called nicotinamide riboside, NR, vitamin B3, nicotinamide riboside, and then an enzyme happens, an enzymatic process, and then it becomes nicotinamide mononucleotide, NMN. Forget the big names, pay attention to the, uh, to the acronym because that's what the supplements are. And then ultimately NMN becomes NAD. So NR, NMM, NAD, mm -hmm. that, that little equation right there. And that actually was kind of groundbreaking because I, to my knowledge, I believe that Dr. Sinclair is the first person to actually figure out that, that process of people knew about the process, but they didn't, you couldn't make NMM. People have tried to do supplements for this, but they're either too large or they've got some side effects. And so nicotinamide riboside is the most studied one. Okay otherwise known as true niogen, which is why uh, it's on our website. Um, but basically he showed that when he was giving mice NMN, the NAD levels would go up significantly. And he did have the data already. We've got human data and we've got mouse data on NR, which does it as well. His belief is that NMN may do it better. And the second that came out, as expected, 
turn on a YouTube thing, do anything. There's like, it's so funny where I'm just like, I'm still reading the literature yeah. and somebody's like, we've got the best NMM supplement. You know, and you're like, what? That's yeah. All, yeah. <laughs> you already got it? <laughs> what are you talking about? And so all these, uh, we got a know. school filled with the best toothologist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the reason why I've been taking true niogen for quite a while is because uh, of the data behind it and the consistency and how they actually produce the product. And so based on that, I actually started a little NMN um, for that little, you know, one-two punch. And so I take both of them in the morning. Um, little shout out to somebody that I've never met or anything, but the product, the NMN product that is on Consumer Labs, they reviewed like 30 NMN mm. products. Okay. And only two actually had NMN in, in them. It? Yeah, yeah. And only one of them actually had almost identical to what was on the label, which is Double Woods NMN. And so based on that, I I now take in the morning uh, True Niogen mm -hmm. plus Double Woods NMN. And I'm hoping that my N, I mean, do... I mean, let me know if I take too much. Like, like if I'm like spilling <laughs> NAD out my ear or something, it's just like, dude, you're taking, you got way too much NAD. I, it's just kind of scary because I wouldn't know what it looked like. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's, that's what I'm doing based off the literature. Prior to that, I would have said that your really only option is true niogen. We offer True Niagen Pro on the website for people that want that. That's the that this is the physician line only that uh, that I'm carrying because I'm a physician. Um, so that is NAD. So that covers sirtuin pathway, and then you got to support it with the NAD pathway. Yeah. So if you're going to do something for sirtuins, you better do something for your NAD. Yeah, they, they just kind of go hand in hand. You have a car, you need the gas. If it, yeah, absolutely. All right, so now we jump into the next place where a lot of people are very excited about, which is the activated protein kinase, AMPK, okay. slash mTOR pathway, because it's like a seesaw. If mTOR is up, AMPK is down. If AMPK is up, then mTOR is down. And for a longevity purpose, you want mTOR low, AMPK up. But if you want to beach body, you need a little mTOR going up so you can stack some muscle on, which yeah. also has its own longevity benefits, mm -hmm. the sarcopenia loss of muscle. So that's what we're going to talk about now. Do you remember that? The, talk about that in the fasting episode, the AMPK and mTOR and all that? Uh, I remember us covering it. If you were going to quiz me on... No, I'm not going to quiz you about anything. I'm just detail, yeah. I I'm just saying that like it. all these, I know like now it's like second nature, but I know somebody's going, geez, they're just throwing out all these letters everywhere. But no, but well, actually I can take it as a, as a point of encouragement because the cool thing is, is even though we've had all of these different avenues to talk about longevity, they're really inter interrelated. And so taking care of one aspect is actually going to cover a lot of these different things in order to have a good sirtuin pathway. You have to have good rest. You can't yes. have that. You can't really get it, grab a hold of your inflammation pathway and make certain that you're not over-inflamed so you're not inflammaging if you don't have good rest and if you don't take care of your stress level. Really, all of these things that we're talking about still goes back to supplementation. These are the things to optimize you doing all of the great things. Yeah, if you're, if you're working that hard, if you're exercising, sleeping, and you know, socializing to improve your microbiome and doing all that, now is the time that why not? You're putting all that effort in? Let's yeah. just... Bump it up a notch. Let's just help your body do it a little bit better. These aren't these aren't the points in time to think that you're you're uh, swimming in a bunch of word or letter soup. I guess yeah. there's another way to think about it. These 
if you're taking care of just these three things, you're really addressing a lot. You're really addressing a lot of the different avenues for longevity and, yeah. uh, and, and good health span. So no. Well, yeah. Thank you for putting it that way. Cause I kind of felt like I was just kicking out all these letters and you know, like you call it letter soup, but you're, yeah. Thank you for summarizing it that way. Cause that's exactly it. It's ultimately, it's not just a bunch of letters. It's really, it's about making you healthier. So in the fasting episode, we did go a little deeper into this and we showed how this pathway, this AMPK pathway gets turned on when cellular energy is low, meaning when the cell doesn't have any fuel, Mm -hmm. then what it does is it turns on and it helps uh, control lipids, decrease glucose, and it helps with the cellular turnover and all that, and it decreases the mTOR pathway. This is how researchers believe metformin works. Metformin is a drug used for diabetes. And I remember when I was in medical school, there was some confusion as to how it actually worked. And now this is very fascinating that this may be how it works. It's a prescription drug, and it binds to something called the complex one, and then that turns on the AMPK pathway. Fascinating. Currently being used a lot in the longevity space, but... If you don't want to get on metformin because it does has its own side effects, there happens to be another polyphenol, which has been studied in this space, and it's something called berberine. It's a polyphenol that has been implicated in turning on the AMPK pathway. Berberine isn't that far removed, though, from what metformin is harvested from, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But berberine is a polyphenol. Um that being said, it also is poorly bioavailable. Yeah. So uh, David Sinclair said something to the effect of he recommends taking berberine, pretty high dose, one gram, with fat to help it absorb. So I went down a rabbit hole and I actually did a Google search and PubMed search. Uh-huh. And I really tried to find literature documenting the bioavailability, the absorption area under the curve, anything that could, that I could corroborate that. Uh And I understand probably he's saying, well, I did it with mice and it seemed to be better. But what I did find is a ton of literature not discussing that fat makes it better. But what I really did find is a ton about the metabolites and how the metabolites of berberine from the microbiome Mm -hmm. actually are the effective part. So, I at least did not stumble across taking fat, improving absorption of berberine. Uh, but I, once again, this is not a berberine episode, but it, at least the initial thing, that's not what the, what the forward-facing studies are. Yeah. Because if it, you would think if it was that effective with fat, then there would be a ton of research on it in humans. Yeah, and I think now, okay, okay, and I don't want to sidetrack, but... If we're talking about metabolites. I pretty much decided to sidetrack before we started the show, so you sidetrack <laughs> all you want. The, the, uh, the idea that taking fat to increase absorption of berberine may or may not be accurate, okay? So let's just say that it is. I, I think the better question is, is do we want system, systemic absorption of berberine before it gets to the colon? That's the be, question. Because fat absorption is going to occur in the small bowel almost, almost yeah. always. And so if that's going to occur, then are we removing it from its availability, not just for its metabolism, but for its post-microbiotic action? Because it seems like that what you would want from berberine is, is, is whole delivery of berberine to the colon. I think so, but we don't have... 
I think so. I think that is definitely, like if you were to ask me the molecules that I'm more familiar with, yeah. if you were to say, we just found out a great way to make Cabracho bioavailable, I would say don't. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page because it seems like that depending upon hepatic metabolism of berberine is probably, not that it's bad, but it's probably not optimal for what we want from berberine. If, if, if I'm being clear, we want it to get to the colon. All I know is that the data show that the when berberine's broken down, mm-hmm. the metabolites, smaller molecules of berberine, are the ones that are effective at raising the AMPK. Yeah, and, that's what, and, I, and if I'm not misunderstanding how that pathway occurs, that's going to be better suited to occur in the colon versus being absorbed systemically and then metabolized by the liver. Those are two different yes, points of action. Yes, definitely. I see where you're going with that. It, um, interestingly, uh, Andrew Huberman on his podcast, the Huberman Lab, he was talking about this and he warned his listeners, be very careful because if you take berberine, hypoglycemia might occur. And I questioned it. Or I was like, mm, what? So being the nerd, um, I got a continuous glucose monitor, uh-huh. a Dexcom 6, uh-huh. and I tried various things while taking berberine. Uh-huh. And I did not notice any difference in my glucose uh, over the several hours. Mm-hmm. And so certainly no hypoglycemia. And then I actually tried it on some diabetic patients. I said, J- just take this, put on this, uh, uh, try, the, try this berberine, tell me what happens after you eat, what happens to your blood sugar and all those things. As it turns out, none of us had a hypoglycemic event, at least within several hours. Okay. Okay. And it was short-term taking, at least within several hours. And I did not have a drop in my blood sugar after taking that. And it really got me thinking about this. I have no doubt in my mind that berberine describing the molecule has the ability to increase AMPK and lower blood glucose like metformin can. Right. But my theory is it's not the immediate aspect of it. So Huberman's deal where he said, be careful of immediate hypoglycemia. I don't, I don't see that. I do think that over time, if you take it, you may end up having a metformin-like experience where you lower it. It'd be interesting to have that conversation with Huberman because I, I like a lot of what it, he he shares. I'm curious, and we could be just shot in the dark here, him being a medical doctor and him talking publicly, sometimes you have to do a little CYA. Oh, yeah, for sure. But he's not a medical doctor. He's a PhD. Oh, PhD. A brilliant one. A okay. neuroscientist. Okay. A professor at Stanford. It's, I mean, so, it's, he's smart. So let me, let me see why I here. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was an MD and PhD, but uh, right now he's hearing the podcast while he's got somebody's head cracked open. And he's just like, I am a damn doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but I do wonder if he's, if he is doing a little CYA just to make certain that he doesn't steer someone down the wrong path, because I kind of felt like berberine and metformin, both they're more effective at making, uh, uh, CAMP, et cetera, more effective as well as the use of insulin more effective, not necessarily lowering blood sugar. It's just simply that it's making it so that when insulin's being excreted, that sugar or circulating glucose is being absorbed into the cell in a more efficient manner, not necessarily that it's just quote unquote gone. Yeah. Yeah. Is, that, is that right or... No, 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 no. I think it is. I think that there's lots of confusion as to how metformin works. Yeah. But the fact, if you turn on this this ginormous pathway, it's a genetic pathway, Yeah. then you can end up, um, then you can actually turn on all these other effects. But it's just something, I mean, I love the fact that they bring that up because then I start going, huh, wait a minute. 
We're not talking. It's not the way that I know that it works. Yeah. And it's, I just don't take things at face value. And I'm like, okay, well, let me try it. Let me see if I take, and I took two grams of berberine just to see. I mean, maybe uh, later in the day, it actually decreased. Maybe the following day, my blood sugar would decrease because of, because of its effect. But I did not see it. Yeah. In my end of like four. Well, it's not definitive, but I'm, I want to see it myself. Yeah. Um, one more supplement in this kind of space that we're talking about right here. And this one is kind of the newest kid on the block. And it's interesting. You ever heard of spermidine? Yeah. No. <laughs> but it's, uh, <laughs> I've heard of other things that started that way. Yeah. I wanted to bring this up because it's now really big. And I've been listening to longevity podcasts and, doctors discussing and they're all they're all talking about this like it's yeah well of course everybody's on spermidine now i'm like what the shit is spermidine so (laughs) no it was discovered and i'll give you a ballpark when do you think it was discovered well for me right now yeah okay perfect so it it was not discovered in 2022 okay It was actually discovered in the year 1,678 by a biologist named Anton von Leeuwenhoek. I think he's Dutch. Yeah. He's probably nothing now, but yeah. Yeah. And so uh, he, uh, uh, according to the story, and who knows, now now I kind of doubt all historical events when you're just like, (laughs) basically, uh, he had a microscope and he was analyzing body fluid. That's not at all the way that I picture it. No. I just, um, so what happened is he was studying body fluid and decided to study his semen. Yeah, of course he did. Because <laughs> if you're, and I, I don't know how old he was, but back then they died early. So for all I know, he was like a 17 year old, you know, young man alone with a microscope. I wonder. Yeah. Eventually it goes through your head. <laughs> yeah. That, a lot's going through my head. Go ahead. <laughs> Anyway, so he analyzed it and saw these crystals called that crystal spermidine and then realized there was something next to it. And he goes, well, that's spermidine also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he, he wasn't very creative in the naming at that point. No, so, he's, he's, yeah. So as it turns out, he's since juvenile. then. juvenile. Yeah. So since. Then, <laughs> <laughs> so since then, um, it's uh, spermidine has been studied extensively. It is a known polyamine, which is a different type of molecule, not just uh, we've been talking polyphenols this whole time. Our bodies actually produce spermidine naturally. Okay. And it was discovered in semen, as I mentioned, hence its name. Another one of these things, spermidine is fantastic at autophagy, getting rid of sick and dying cells, and it actually stabilizes the epigenome. As we age... Spermidine decreases. You're seeing this pattern here of these pathways of anti-aging decrease as we age. So in mouse studies, at least, mice and worms, Mm -hmm. it was shown that spermidine actually showed a significant life extension. Okay, just real quick. So spermidine, uh, is it only naturally occurring in male species, in in, in the males of, of each species? And we'll answer that one first, you know? Uh, no, it is not. But that is a fantastic thing that you brought up because I also was thinking about it. Well, so as it turns out, yeah. spermidine is in the highest concentration in semen, 
and in lactation. Okay. Breast milk. It's really high also. Okay. So obviously you have to be post-adolescent to have high concentrations of it. Yes. Okay. What was fascinating is that I'm like, well, why breast milk? That's weird. Well, as it turns out, they believe that spermidine blocks a inflammatory molecule in the gut for the baby called zonulin. Oh, okay. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, very much. Yeah. So, um, so very high concentration in semen and in breast milk. Speaking of the semen, <laughs> I couldn't let this go. There are biohacker circles like Dave Asprey and people like that, mm -hmm. that um, they try to boost their spermidine on the semi-regular. And the way to boost the spermidine is to get very aroused uh, with your partner, without a partner, whatever, but not climaxing. And ultimately, because as your arousal hormones go up, you uh -huh. produce more semen. Uh -huh. In theory, more semen produces more spermidine. And then if you do not what's the word release sure. the spermidine into the wild, then it'll just be reabsorbed in theory. I don't know. I've not seen any blood this, values of it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just had so many questions. So like what you, you even said with, with a partner, what, what benefit does the female get out of this? Oh shit. I cannot believe you asked that because I also thought about that and went down a rabbit hole. Yeah. So as it turns out, the female gets um, gets the benefit. And vaginal absorption versus oral, apparently it's quite orally bioavailable. And no, oh, no, but that's if I was there's a release. Was, what podcast? Though, right? oh, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It was two, I was listening to two doctors. She has a podcast and she was, she brought up Dave Asprey because she had Dave Asprey on the show yeah. like a few weeks before. And I'm sitting there working out, listening to these okay. two doctor women discuss this exact topic so, and go through the science of vaginal mucosa versus oral mucosa versus stomach. And I'm, I'm just kind of laughing. I'm like, okay. So hanging on to yourself, hanging on to it yourself is like really, really selfish. If you have a partner. If you have a partner. <laughs> In fact, this doctor went on to say, and I, this is, I'm now I'm just, I feel like I'm just being part of the, of the, um, I don't know. I don't want, I didn't do my research. I'm trusting somebody else on this one. Okay. Because yeah. I just kind of laughed and, uh, I'm laughing. I know. She said that there's <laughs> evidence to show that couples, that are truly in love, mm. but are not intimate with each other, age more rapidly yeah. versus those that don't even like each other, but have frequent intercourse, age slower based on this. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you were not prepared for this topic, were you? See, funny. Neither was I. I just kept going, oh my. I hope this doesn't get brought up. Yeah. Oh my, but you just keep bringing that shit up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah. So depending on who you are, if you're, <laughs> if you're, uh, we, we shouldn't even say female, uh, if you're significant other uh -huh. male or female and um, you want to get the best in theory, Although I, now, now I'm like dying to know if there's actual studies on this. Like if your spermidine okay. actually goes up and all that other stuff. Let's just, let's just move from the heterosexual realm. Do lesbian or gay couples age more quicker, more quickly? 
that is a third rail topic. I, I do know. not want to touch it, but <laughs> I would venture to say that homosexual men have the same advantage because you have, you know, absorption. Right. Yeah. And withheld. Yeah. Yeah. But, but um, yes, yeah, since I, it's possible that uh, lesbian relationships do not have as high exposure to spermity yeah. through that route. Uh, sort of got hung up on the one route. Oh, okay. I was but, a, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but that's interesting. Now it's like, I mean, if you're a researcher, wouldn't that just be just such a fun topic? Yeah. Just looking into all that. Um, <laughs> beyond sperm and breast milk and beyond that your body produces it, as it turns out, you can eat it. And it's found in certain foods. It's found in something called natto, N-A-T-O, which is fermented soybean. It's found in vegetables. It's also found in maitake mushrooms and even some wheat germ. So, um, oh, surprise, surprise. The other big place that it's actually produced is the microbiome. Microbiome actually produces... Spermidine. I should have known. Yeah, and there's uh, they, they even know they even know the genus uh, Bacteroides species and Fusobacterium species have actually been shown to produce significant amount of spermidine, not just spermidine but putrescine, which is the precursor to spermidine. Wow, that does not sound attractive, dude. I don't know who's naming this stuff. Yeah, Look, yeah. What do you want to call it, Bob? Yeah. What are you doing? Why don't you knock? <laughs> <laughs> The food tasting great gene is comes from <laughs> shit a scene. You know, nothing makes sense. All right, go ahead. So once again, it causes autophagy, and it, oh, in this case, it causes autophagy differently. Found this interesting through a totally different pathway called the um, inhibiting acetyltransferase activity of the EP three hundred. I don't know that one. I know I didn't know that one either, but that's why I think that I'm going to start. I'm going to, I'm going to look into which spermidine to get, and then I'm going to start taking some spermidine because, um, it's a different pathway. You know, one thing would be is, okay, I'm going to flog the sirtuin pathway another way. No, I'm going to try and turn on my AMPK pathway. No, I am going to increase my spermidine concentration. My butt, which brings up the question, Eric, now that you know all the ways to increase your spermidine, what will be your method? All of them. Leave it right there. All of them. I'm going to come over to your house and see a bunch of shiitake mushrooms, wheat germ, and and, and you're just going to be a frustrated sexual yes. man. Be like, let's get out of here, man. <laughs> Stupid. Nothing's fun. Nothing's fun. So, um, yeah, maybe we don't have to do all that and just find a good a good supplement. But yeah, to, yeah. so spermidine and uh, <laughs> oof. You know what? Um, I got a lot more to cover and. We've been at this for quite a while. It's, oh, wow. it's, uh, I didn't realize that we would spend so much time on. So what the- he's getting at is that episode 80 will need a supplement. We'll need a supplemental episode. This is part one of episode 80. Um, you might want to rewind and listen to it again. And it's all based on science, although it's a lot of this seems absurd. So It's not absurd, though. It's real. Yeah. So, ep- uh, you, part, so episode 81 will be... Um, you absolutely have to hear that one because if none of this stuff sounded familiar, episode 81 is actually going to be the stuff that most Americans are deficient in. And I'll explain on a cellular level how each one of these things can actually help you. So in other words, you can't do this fancy stuff until you do the basics. And so as far as 
Well, I can't even tell you what I take. Um, I, I will tell you that I take Atron Teal Pro. I do take Broccoli Pro, and I do take True Niagen Plus NMN. And next episode, um, oh, and I take Metformin. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, my doctor gives me a prescription for that, and I take that at night. The only thing about Metformin that like Peter Atia addressed and stuff is that it does appear, since it decreases mTOR, that if you're working out, you may not get the best benefit of a workout. Oh, okay. I don't know. It's something that, um, but uh, that, uh, where you're going with it. Yeah. I think he was on Joe Rogan, and Joe asked, well, can you just not take it the days you're lifting? I remember that. It doesn't quite work that way either. Mm-mm. It isn't just a wash in, wash out, and within a 24-hour period kind of thing. So Yeah, I don't know. So maybe I'll get all these supplements right, and I'll actually get huge. <laughs> so, um, yeah, definitely. Why do I take Atrantil Pro? I do it because I know it's going to turn on the sirtuin pathway. Why do I take Broccoli Pro? Because it's been shown to turn on the NRF2 pathway, the anti-inflammatory pathway, nicotinamide, riboside, and double woods NMN to increase my NAD to make sure that the other two things work well because that's a cofactor. Episode 80, episode 81 um, is it's just as important. I feel like, anyways, yeah, we need to do episode 81 like ASAP and get it out there because it's, I feel like that one, I don't want anybody missing out on that one because that one is very important. Very, very important. This was important also though. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you because I learned some new terms today and, um, and apparently you're going to come to my house and see how I'm going to... <laughs> Harvest. Science. I hope you're. I hope you're making a um, giant flying squid camouflage suit so we can go scuba diving without fearing. Don't you think of that as like a close encounters with the way that they talk? Yes, dude. They literally seem like aliens. They're yeah. talking in full-on sentences, blinking. Oh, and by the way, <clears throat> those chromatograph cells, I, f- oh, I forgot what the cells are called Chrom- in a cephalopod. Chrom- chromatisins? No. Chromatisins? It's something that like right? that. I don't know. It's something like that. Um, they blink fast uh-huh. because it's part of their neurologic system. So it's not like a, I'm going to change colors. It's oh, just, it just moves. Yeah. And they just expand and change colors, and that's how they communicate. It's nuts. Uh, I don't remember. Well, I don't remember who it was watching a special on different uh, animals that used that kind of communication system just to show different, whatever. They basically view that as almost an extension of their, uh, of their brain. Yeah. So that's, it would make sense, right? If, if it moves that fast, that, that, uh, it's, it's neurons eliciting these, these changes so quickly. Anyway. Yeah. So anyway, so that's going to be episode number 80. It's going to culminate here with the ending of course of this longevity series actually being episode number 81 and uh don't forget to uh, tune in for that yes so part one thank you so much for tuning in episode 80 our goal here is to interact with you to make sure that you live your longest healthiest life so please interact with us and let us know what you want to hear about share it make sure that you're uh, telling your friends and family that uh, you just learned about spermidine, and it makes for great dinner discussion. Shoot Ken an email and tell us how where you find your spermidine. <laughs> so anyhow, see y'all for episode number 81. Thank y'all so much. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this episode of the Gut Check Project, and we appreciate you for being a part of it. Be sure to follow us on your favorite platform for podcasts. You can find the GCP on Locals, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Rumble, and more. And you can always check out Gut Check Project to find all episodes and interact with the show. Tell your friends and family not to wait to get... 
got checked.